Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome back to Ask Christopher West. Hey, everybody. We are here again. So happy to be here. So happy to have your questions. Thank you, everybody, for all that you... All that you what? <laughs> my brain just my brain just blanked. My brain just blanked. Okay, let's my leave brain that out. just blanked. So you recently <laughs> took a trip. <laughs> Stop laughing! I'm Sorry. talking. Okay. Okay. So you recently took a trip to Spain, and I did. I uh, took a trip to Spain. That's right. And you were speaking, not a vacation. This was a. You were speaking in Madrid. Yep, speaking in Madrid. But in addition to going to Madrid, you went to Avila, Spain. Did. And I'd love for you to share something about that. Yeah. Anybody who knows my work knows that I'm a big fan of John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. Mm-hmm. Two who, great saints. Two amazing doctors of the church, mystical doctors, both of whom were a great influence on St. John Paul II. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways we could certainly say that John of the Cross and Teresa were a huge influence on John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Mm -hmm. So I've always had that connection. Over the years, I've been given various relics, and I have one of John of the Cross and Teresa, and I always have those relics in my pockets when I'm teaching courses Mm -hmm. for the Theology of the Body Institute. I'm remembering something else. Yes. Do you remember um, before we were dating, when we were just friends, I bought you a birthday gift one year that was a book of quotes of John of the Cross. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. How about that? Do you still have that? I do. All right, good, good. Okay, continue your story. I had forgotten that. I I know I still have that, but I had forgotten that you had given that to me. That's right, at Wendy's. At at Wendy's, on my birthday, Mm -hmm. on your birthday too. It was my birthday as well, you're right. Wendy and I share a birthday, (laughs) November 7th. Uh, What was I saying? Oh, yes, one of the... Unexpected treats was uh, we had a Sunday morning where we didn't have anything we needed to do, and I I didn't even know how far away Avila was from Madrid, and I asked our host how how far away is Avila? Well, it's just an hour drive. So yeah, Mike Mangioni and I traveled to Avila. He has a daughter named Avila, so that was very meaningful for him. And one of the highlights was sitting in the confessional where John of the Cross would hear Teresa's confession. There was just something about it, sitting right there. Mm. Holy place. Yeah, it was, it was amazing to sit in the place where, where those graces were delivered through John's priesthood and received by Teresa. And I'm sure John was also receiving graces mm. through Teresa's holiness as well. But their humanity is so evident there, too. Like, just have sitting down, just their physical presence, their conversation. It's yeah, all it right makes there. it real. These were real people. We, mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of build it up in your head somehow, these great saints, you know. And they almost become like cartoons or something or imaginary. But no, 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 no they're real, real people. I, was, I walked where they walked. I prayed where they prayed. I saw the room from a distance. It's part of the monastery, so it's part of the cloister. You can't go into it. But from a distance, I saw the room where the chapel, little chapel, where Teresa had that experience of ecstasy mm-hmm. that I so often talk about and write about. 
this experience that she described as nuptial union with love eternal. Yeah, we can put in the show notes a link to that statue, the famous statue by Bernini. And for all the patrons of the TOB Institute, we're doing a, a virtual pilgrimage right now through the video footage of our trip to Rome last year. And I was able to give a, a presentation on the teaching of Teresa of Avila in the presence of Bernini's statue, The Ecstasy of St. Teresa. So if you're not already a patron of the Institute, consider becoming one and you can get the uh, exclusive access to the footage of that talk it was filmed that I gave in front of the statue of Teresa of Avila. One of the highlights of my career as a teacher was to be able to deliver that talk. And it's also just that unexpected little pilgrimage I had to Avila reminds me of, again, that we're doing pilgrimages at the Institute. And you might want to consider coming with us to Mexico City, October 18th to the 23rd of this year. That's over the feast day of St. John Paul II. We're going to be visiting the Tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe and diving into all of those awesome mysteries of our faith. And we're going to the Holy Land, February 15th to the 25th of 2020. And if you want to learn more about those pilgrimages, go to tobpilgrimages.com. So that said, let's talk about some questions. I'm going to share a question from a listener named Teresa. How about that? How about that? Hi, Teresa. With an H or no H? No H. No H, just like Avila. So Teresa says, in your talk, Woman, God's Masterpiece. Oh, that's an old one. (laughs) That was recorded, if I'm correct, that was recorded in 2000 at Steubenville. Wow. So she says, you mentioned that if we, meaning women, knew how men think, we would dress modestly without a doubt. Could you explain how men think? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, well, there, I think there was a little, yeah, that's, that's a, she's recalling something I said, but let me put what I said in context. I was talking about modesty and I said, sometimes what is needed, if I recall the way I would have said it, I think this is the way it would have come out. Sometimes what is needed, you know, if a, if a woman doesn't really understand why wearing a certain outfit might not be appropriate, what she may need is just a little window into the way guys think, and that would change the way she understands the way she dresses. I remember when we were dating, mm-hmm. you were 22, I was 25, and I remember, I don't remember exactly what it was, what you were wearing or not wearing, but I remember having some conversations about the way men think that was a bit of an eye-opener for you. Do you remember remember Mm -hmm. that? Do you remember what the context was? Yeah, I mean, if we want to get into specific clothing, or I'm not sure how you want to go with answering the questions. My goal, when I talk about modesty, my goal is to avoid speaking about specifics of clothing, because here's why. Because modesty flows from the heart. Modesty is a virtue. flows from the virtue of purity, a pure heart. And clothing is an inanimate object. Mm -hmm. Clothing cannot have virtue nor lack it. You can't point to a piece of clothing on a table or hanging in a closet and say, that's an immodest, that's immodest. Well, no, no, that's a piece of clothing. Modesty or immodesty flows from the heart. 
And there might be a situation in which someone is wearing that clothing that it's not immodest. There might be a situation in which someone's wearing that clothing where it might be modest. Wait, did I get that right? Did I you said the same thing say, twice. Said the same thing mm-hmm. twice. Well, you know what I mean. Modest or immodest. Because virtue comes from the heart, and you have to evaluate based on circumstances. Are you wearing a bathing suit to church? Well, that would be immodest. Are you wearing a bathing suit to the beach? Well, that's a whole different context. So all of that needs to be looked at, which is why I don't like, when I'm talking about modesty, I don't like to zoom in right away on this piece of clothing or that piece of clothing. I like to talk about the context, the virtue, the meaning of purity. Modesty is not, we, we see, we have this puritanical vision of the body, and when, when we have this puritanical vision of the body, modesty becomes, cover that up because your body's bad. No, 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 no. Modesty flows. John Paul II says, the virtue of modesty flows from a true appreciation of the value, dignity, and beauty of the human body. From a true appreciation of the value, dignity, and beauty of God's plan for human sexuality. If we don't understand the true value, dignity, and beauty of the human body and of God's plan for sexuality, we can't have the virtue of modesty, which flows from the deeper virtue of purity. Purity, John Paul II says, purity is the glory of the human body before God. It is the glory of God in the masculine and feminine body. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. The covering of the body in a fallen world is necessary because we don't see, because we're blind. We need to guard and protect the value of the body from the degradation of being treated as an object for someone's selfish pleasure. All of that background is necessary to understand the proper role of modesty. So I forget the question. (laughs) <laughs> what were we talking about? Yes. Well, she wants to know, could you explain how men think? Oh, yeah. And, and then, how we that can, then, then I was reminded of when we were dating and mm-hmm. we were going to talk about that. So do you have any thoughts you want to share about what we were talking about when we were dating? Well, I think what you wanted to enlighten me about at the time was a certain sort of tendency in men to kind of be very curious about getting glimpses of aspects of women's bodies, certain aspects that they were kind of very drawn to. I'm getting a glimpse there. And that kind of becomes a total focus of the the mental energy and the imagination. It can it can become become. not necessarily right. But But I think that was kind of the the basic understanding that you wanted to share with me that something that seems unimportant to me as a woman might have a more significant impact on the men around yeah. me. Yeah, that's a good summary. To try to give a, an answer to that question, Teresa, about how do men think, I don't want to make blanket statements, but I will say this. In a general sense, men are wired towards physical stimulation. There is a, and a vision, when I say physical there, I mean the stimulation comes through a a sight of something physical. We're visually wired, generally speaking. Now, this does not mean, and John Paul II gets into these distinctions and nuances in his book, Love and Responsibility, this does not mean that the way a woman dresses should hide the fact that she's a woman, right? Women have certain curves that men do not have. The solution is not to dress in a box so that you're 
femininity is no longer discernible. But what, what is really required is purity of heart on the part of the man and the woman. Uh, put it this way. A man has antenna that can pick up the purity of heart of a woman. And a woman could be dressed very, uh, how, I want to say this in the right sense. Um, I'm I want to talk about a woman who is pure of heart, who is dressed elegantly and femininely in such a way that her femininity is on display in an elegant and pure way. That it is very clear that she's a woman and she delights in being a woman, but she delights in being a woman in a, in a way that is pure. The, that sends out a certain vibe that a guy picks up mm. where another woman dressed in the very same outfit with an impure heart could be dressed that way specifically with the intention to arouse lust in men. Mm -hmm. And men will pick up that vibe as well. And my, my point there is uh, clothing is modest or immodest based on what is going on in the heart of the person wearing it. And if the person wearing it is wearing it with the explicit intention to arouse lust in men, that's immodest. Now, you could have a woman who has no intention of arousing lust in men, which would, be, would have been the case when you and I were dating, mm -hmm. but I was beginning to point out to you certain things about the way men think of which you were unaware that caused you to reconsider some of mm -hmm. what you were wearing on, on various occasions. So there is a two-way street here that lust could be awakened in a man even when the woman has no intention of awakening it. And that's the point I was making in that talk about a little knowledge on the woman's part of what can trigger a man to go down a lustful path, I think is important in helping her to really show uh, mercy towards a weak brother. You are, a woman is not necessarily responsible for what's going on in another person's mind or heart, but with a little awareness, she can help him not to go down that track by the way she's dressing or behaving or mm -hmm. is that, is that making sense? Do you think? Yeah, I'm I think it's good. I think it's kind of trying to answer the very specific question that, well, okay. If understanding a man's thought process would help me to dress, I, help me, help me to understand. Yeah. I think that's what you're yeah, getting The at. bottom line is men typically, again, I'm not trying to make blanket statements, but men are typically triggered by visible sight of sexual characteristics, mm -hmm. sexual values, cleavage, for example. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't want to say, therefore, any sight of a woman's cleavage is therefore inherently wrong or inherently immodest. Or I, I don't want to go there because a man can also see the shape and curve of a woman's breast and recognize the glory of God revealed through her feminine person. So these, these things are, they need so many layers of nuance mm. and so many layers of qualification that it's, it's not just as simple as to say, a low-cut dress is always immodest and a woman should never, two inches below the neck, that's immodesty, that's immodesty, and that's immodesty. I don't, I don't have those conversations because it's a much more nuanced conversation. But a little knowledge of how men think will probably alter the way some women dress.
Mm-hmm. That's the goal. That's the point. Thank you. And in the words of the prophet Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> so I shouldn't do a whole show no. of modesty questions. You don't want to keep going. Well, with this I mean, if it would be helpful to people, it would just take a lot of more time. I'm I'm just aware, uh, aware of the fact sure. that we have other questions we're going to we get to. Do. If we, we do. want to do a whole show on modesty, where we can actually, I could pull out love and responsibility, where JP two is so well-nuanced and makes all the right qualifications and distinctions, I'm totally up for that. If somebody wants to send that question in, feel free, and I'll pull out my love and responsibility, and we can do a whole show on it. Okay. Sounds like a possible plan, then. Next question. This seems like it's going to turn out to be the podcast about women. The next question is also related to women. Wait, I have to say something. Does anybody know who I was imitating? When I did that, modesty is I don't even know. No? Uh-uh. He, it wasn't on the topic of modesty, but there's a certain comedian that was kind of got stuck in my head there when I was doing that. If anybody knows, send it in, and you'll get a little bonus. Okay, there's the the listener challenge. The listener challenge. Okay, is there a theology to the cycle of a of yes. women? Yes. Oh, this is an awesome question. Sometimes Beautiful. it's hard for me to accept how I'm made as a woman, having all these crazy things going on in my body, and I think it would help to know if there's something pointing me to God in all of that craziness. D- is there a name for this person? There is not. Okay, dear anonymous, precious cycling woman. <laughs> Yes, there is a beautiful theology to your body here. When we say theology of the body, what we're saying is every aspect of the human body reveals a divine mystery. There is no aspect of the human body whatsoever that is excluded from revealing some divine reality. Our whole body is theological. This means a woman's cycle tells some divine story. What story does it tell? I will never exhaust it because it's, it's, it's a mystery that is ever deeper. But I do have some reflections because I have reflected on it at some length, especially in light of being a, a married man and being with mm-hmm. you these 20 whatever years. How long has it been? That we've been married or since we became... Yeah, since since I would have known about... Yeah, since we were dating, I Mm -hmm. knew about your cycle. Yeah, 24 years. 20, 24 years since the mid-90s. So it's near and dear to me and having daughters. Mm -hmm. um, One of of our daughters, a teenage daughter. This is a a subject that I, I have great reverence for and I am well aware... Well aware, I, I've had some women kind of chide me, understandably, when I talk about a woman's cycle. Like, who are you to talk about a woman's cycle? You don't know what we go through. Amen. I bow in reverence to that fundamental truth. In fact, just recently you were having your cycle, love, your period, and I, I just said, I, I, I don't know what you're going through, but I love you there, and I wish I could carry some of that burden. I really can't carry some of that burden, but I love you there, and I'm here to to serve you and mm-hmm. rub your feet and whatever else you might need of me. So all of that uh, with great reverence, with firm acknowledgement that I don't really know what I'm talking about here because I don't go through it, but with reverence as a man who has an awe for the mystery of woman, these are my reflections. I remember it dawning on me just that, why is it a monthly cycle and where do months come from? Mm-hmm. Months come from the moon revolving mm-hmm. around the earth. Right. 
And I remember it dawning on me that a woman's cycle is connected to the moon. Mm. And how mysterious that is and awesome that is. There's something cosmic going on here in a woman's cycle. There's a connection to the moon. There's a connection to the place of the earth in the cosmos and the place of the moon in the cosmos and the sun. And it's all connected. And the moon is an apt symbol of Mary because the moon is the reflection of the sun. The moon doesn't have its own light. It reflects the light of the sun. And Mary doesn't have her own divine light, but she reflects the divine light of God. And this is what we're all meant to do. And that mystery of, I mean, Mary cycled. Mary was a real woman. Has it ever dawned on, on us as we're praying the rosary that Mary was ovulating when the angel showed up. Mm -hmm. We have every reason to conclude that. Mary was in that most fertile time of her cycle. Mm -hmm. It is quite literally true that woman's cycle and the mystery thereof brought the second person of the Trinity to planet Earth in the flesh. Mm -hmm. This is profound as is the whole mystery of a woman bleeding this is profound written right into the woman's body is the truth that the covenant involves the shedding of blood what covenant the marital covenant that call to be fruitful and multiply, the call of the two to become one flesh, the marital covenant is the main sign of the covenant established between God and us in Jesus Christ. And written into a woman's body every month is this mystery of bloodshed, of shedding blood. For what purpose? For the purpose of fertility, for the purpose of continuing the human race, but not just that purpose. It's a sign of the covenant made in the blood of Christ. And here I often draw a connection that men are removed from this whole reality. We have to learn this mystery of the giving up of flesh and the shedding of blood as part of the covenant. We have to learn it. It's not directly written into our bodies by nature that it involves bloodshed. And it seems to me... This is my own personal reflection, but it seems to me God is saying to Abraham with the sign of the old covenant, which I know it makes us uncomfortable, but it's right there in the Bible. We got to look at it. (laughs) The sign of the old covenant was circumcision. What is being said here? Seems to me God is trying to teach the man something the woman already knows, that to participate in the covenant, what was the promise? Offspring offspring, offspring, Mm -hmm. to participate in that covenant of being fruitful and multiplying. And every time God establishes a covenant with his people, there's the call to be fruitful and multiply. It's going to demand the sacrifice of flesh and the shedding of blood right where it hurts. The woman already knows this. The man has to learn it. That's one of the lessons of circumcision, if you ask me. And I have to learn continually Your monthly bleeding to me, my love, is an invitation for me to learn the ways of sacrificial love. 
It's a call right stamped in your body to learn the way of the giving up of flesh, the shedding of blood for the sake of the covenant. Yeah, there are lots of experiences and they're not universal as far as, you know, different women experience different things. But I, I think there can be a challenge, a certain accepting of our design as God has made us and, you know, kind of not being our own designers, not being in charge, but a surrendering to the, the wisdom of our creator that when we experience things that are difficult physically, that that, you know, certainly brings us to that place of acknowledgement. He's God. Yeah. He's all wise and good. And we trust in that. I remember a specific realization after I was first exposed to theology of the body, reflecting on my experiences of my cycle, that one of the things that I tend to experience was being, you might say, overly sensitive, overly emotional kind of things are causing me greater distress during that time than at other times of the month. And I was just praying, asking the Lord, why is this? How is this my femininity a gift in this situation when I don't feel correct? I feel like I'm mm-hmm. overreacting to things. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. You have many experiences of that. Thank you for forgiving me for that. I love you there. I know. Um, thank you. So one of the things I realized is that... I, Knowing that I'm having an overreaction to things doesn't mean that everything I'm feeling is irrelevant. That in fact, although it's exaggerated, it could be a gift of insight into my own heart. Yeah. You know, where maybe if I'm feeling great, going about my tasks, doing everything that, you know, kind of fine, I might be neglecting things that are important in my heart. And that time of somewhat of weakness or pain and stronger emotions is a window, a a gift to see, here's something else that's important to me that maybe I'd rather not think about, but this is the opportunity to open it up to the Lord. Sometimes to share it with you, if that's, Mm -hmm. you know, what we're called to in our relationship. But I think in that sense, I was able to recognize even some of the suffering has, you know, a purpose in God's plan for me. And as I said, not everyone's experience is the same, but I think the principle of asking the Lord, what is your gift to me in this circumstance, or how how can I recognize the action of your spirit in my life during this time? I think we may have different answers, but I think it's a beautiful principle to go on. And you pointed this out to me one time a couple of years ago when I think, I don't know if you came to a talk where I was sharing this connection with the moon mm-hmm. thing. And I thought this was a beautiful insight that all the phases of the moon are beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's not a time you look up at the moon and say, well, that's ugly. No. It's beautiful. The phases of the moon are beautiful, which if we're going to draw those parallels, which are entirely appropriate, certainly means there's beauty in every phase of a woman's cycle to be seen. If we have eyes to see it, we should see it that way. And I, I saw a documentary recently that struck me, the, the title... Uh, I forget it, but it was on Netflix about different cultures and their approach to a woman's cycle. And I was was so pained to learn on how how many levels a woman in so many cultures, and and it's present in our own culture too, to some degree, 
women are shamed when they're bleeding. They're ostracized and, uh, you know, they're untouchable. And there's even some of that stuff in in scripture. You know, the woman was considered unclean Mm -hmm. when it was that time of her period. And of course, we have in the New Testament corrections of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most beautiful examples that Jesus was not afraid of women when, when they bled. Mm-hmm. Is that story of the woman with the the bleeding, the who, hemorrhage. who the hemorrhage, who reached out? If I just touch the his cloak, I'll be healed. And it, I ask, I just invite every woman out there to take that gospel story to prayer, to to know Jesus's tenderness with you in your bleeding. What happened? Jesus said, "Someone touched me. Power went." out from my body. Mm-hmm. She was instantly healed. Okay, so what's happening here? Power is flowing out of Jesus's body mm-hmm. into that woman's womb. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening. That's what just happened in that scene. That's incredibly powerful and incredibly mysterious and intimate. He's the creator of the universe. He designed a woman's body and power from his body reaches her body right There, there's something profound there to overcome that whole shame thing connected to a woman's bleeding. Jesus is not afraid. He's not afraid of any of this. It reveals a great, great mystery. It's a mystery that is fully revealed at the cross. I think it's fully revealed in the mystery of the sword that pierces Jesus's heart and the sword that pierces Mary's heart right then and there. The prophecy of Simeon, a sword will pierce your heart. I think the bleeding of the woman's womb is a sign of that spiritual mystery, the bleeding of Mary's heart. So many fathers of the church said Mary didn't go through physical labor pains during the birth of Jesus, but she went through profound spiritual labor pains at the foot of the cross to give birth to all of us in the spirit. So those are just some some lines of thinking to consider about the mystery of a a woman's cycle and what it reveals. It is beautiful in all of its phases. My dear sisters, with reverence as one who is not a woman, but reverence for the mystery of woman, I say thank you you for all that you bear for the whole human race. The human race would not exist if it weren't for a woman's cycle. So thank you. I am so glad that I exist. I thank you. I thank my own mother for all that she carried yes, and bore. I thank her too. Uh, I thank your mother, yes. Wendy, mm-hmm. for all that she bore and bearing you and my grandmother, great-grandmother, and the whole way back to the beginning of time. Thank you, God, for the gift of women and all that they bear for the sake of human existence. Amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Shall we go to the next one? Okay, sure. This is a question um, from a listener named Crystal. Crystal asks, is it okay if honeymoon sex is super awkward and we end up laughing in bed? Absolutely. In fact, it's not just honeymoon sex that is awkward and makes you laugh. There's going to be a lot of that throughout the course of your married life. <laughs> she says, aren't we doing it wrong if it doesn't seem like a scene from a movie? Oh, God, have mercy. Bless you, bless you. The mercy is not, well, yeah. I'm saying God have mercy because it makes me angry how movies have warped Right. Our perceptions. That's that's if you sensed a little anger in my voice, that is not directed at you, Crystal. No. That is directed at these movie makers who warp us. Dear Crystal, 
you and your husband on your honeymoon, if it was awkward and uh, made you laugh and was weird at some level, that's your humanity. Mm -hmm. And grace flows through our real humanity. So rejoice in that real humanity. You know, for all you unmarried people out there who are, you know, maybe glamorizing the marriage bed, uh, uh, romanticizing what it might be like. I mean, it is beautiful. It is wonderful. But at times it is awkward and weird and bodily noises happen that you might not expect. And uh, maybe I'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> maybe you will. <laughs> Bless you, Crystal. Rejoice yes. in your humanity. Rejoice in all the awkward, painful squeaks. It's all beautiful. It's, and that's where grace works. So we have come to the close of this episode, but I do have an invitation for you. We have a Theology of the Body Level 1 course coming up from September 8th to the 13th. We are taking it on the road this time to the lodge at Sawmill Creek Resort in Huron, Ohio, which is near Cleveland. I haven't been there myself, but Jen Settle, who went to scout this location out, says it's really cool. It's a beautiful place. Kind of has this resort feel. I uh, probably might want to bring a bathing suit. Really exciting place, but more exciting is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be going through 30 hours of classroom time over five and a half days of diving deep into this theology of the body. We're going to put the, the link in the show notes for the trailer. And uh, why don't we also put uh, the link in there for uh, some couple testimonies and some individual testimonies of people who have been to the course. If you are considering coming, watch those videos. Uh, just get a sense of, of what people experience. It, it'll rock your world in the most beautiful way. Life, life-changing experience for people who've come to these courses. And I don't even like to call it a course. It's more of a retreat, really. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You, my dear brothers and sisters, remember always, you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. Thirty-two minutes. And how many questions did we do? Two, but you already did your promotion. Thing. I did. And how many? Uh, how long is this? Quick one. Okay, let's do a quick one. So, Mark, edit that whole question of what the heck is happening out. <laughs> You're silly. Okay. So, uh, <clears throat> here I am. <laughs>